When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Monday, October 4th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Well, he's he's only our tribe beat writer, I guess. Uh, I got I to gotta figure out a different way to refer to you now, Paul. Uh, I got to open the show completely differently from now on uh, because the Indians have played their last game as the Indians, uh, winning on Sunday 6-0. Uh, they managed to, to win two out of three games in Texas but they, they couldn't accomplish one of their goals going into the series, and that was finishing with a, uh, at least a 500 record. Uh, they finished the season 80 and 82 uh, after Aaron Savali goes six scoreless innings for them on Sunday. Uh, what, it was what they needed to see out of Aaron Savali in that final start of the season. Yeah, Joe, I think it, it really was important, and it sounded like it was important to him, especially. He, you know... He, as we talked last week, they could have started, uh, you know, they could have started uh, Quantrill there with, with no doubt and given Quantrill, you know, kind of a, a good send off. Uh, but, you know, Savali had, had missed so much time, you know, what, a hundred, like 77 days, almost three months. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, he pushed for that start on Sunday and uh, he really wanted to go into this off season you know, in a good frame of mind. And he certainly did that. Like you said, six scoreless innings. He looked like himself again. And uh, because he had struggled since coming off the uh, injured list, uh, I think on September 9th, he's made about, he made about five or six starts. And uh, he just, you know, he he was up and down. You know, he had some good ones, some bad ones, but this was a good send off for him. Right. And he gave up, I believe, nine home runs in that stretch of of starts that, you know, not what we were really accustomed to seeing out of Aaron Savali. He was still able to get through games and, and get uh, give them the the sort of performance in, in terms of length that they were looking for, but not necessarily what uh, the, the quality of, of, of starts that we had come to hope and, and, and see in Aaron Savali. Uh, Yu Chang uh, hits a home run and, you know, continued to, just sort of ride that wave of, you know, over his last, I guess, like 30 some games, he's hitting over 300 and just looking, looking solid, looking like uh, the light bulb had kind of finally gone off. Yeah, Joe, of of all those guys, uh, the young players, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm I'm Ed Rosario and those those kind of guys, but I'm talking about like Chang and and Owen Miller and, and Andres Jimenez and, and, and uh, you know, th- that group of infielders that they, you know, were kind of running back and up and down between Columbus. And finally, you know, when DeMilo Hale took over, that they decided to evaluate. I thought Chang had really, when he came up, like you said, I think he got called up in August, on August 13th. And he's really, he's, he's looked like a, a big league ball player. He's looked like a big league hitter. You know, I thought he's played well at any position they put him in. 
and he's really put himself in, you know, a, a good spot, I think, to uh, win a job, you know, whether it's at second base, whether it's a utility guy. And that's saying something with all the, uh, the young players they have to protect on the 40 man this, this winter. Right. Yeah. There's right. a lot of depth uh, in the organization, in that middle infield area. You would think that shortstop, second base, maybe as a backup at first, are the areas that, that Chang would, would sort of fit. But you don't know what the, what the organization's plan is with Ahmed Rosario at this point. I mean, we've been, after his month of August, we pretty much sat here and said, boy, this guy's got to be your shorting, uh, starting shortstop next year uh, out of spring training. That may or may not be the case. They're, they're still considering and talking about the possibility of moving him to the outfield. Yeah, I think there's, there's that possibility. He certainly... We know one thing, Joe. I mean, he's going to be on the club somewhere. He's going to be in the starting lineup somewhere. And I, to me, I've got a tough time, you know, going up to uh, Rosario and said, hey, buddy, you know, we're, we're going to move you again. We appreciate the effort at shortstop, but you're going to go play uh, what? Left field or right field or you're going to play second base? I mean, the way this, that guy played from, you know, after they moved him to shortstop at, in, in May full time, you know, when they sent – Jimenez down, I thought, you know, I thought he earned the job. I thought he earned the job to go into to spring training next year as, as their uh, shortstop. But, you know, they have their own ideas, definitely. Right. Well, and, and you and I talked earlier about, you know, when we're going to talk about our end of the season awards and MVPs and highlights and things like that. Uh, you you got to strongly consider Ahmed Rosario for, the, the team you could you could probably give Jose Ramirez the MVP every year just based on his performance year in and year out but as far as out of nowhere surprise sort of coming in and, and really carrying the team for for stretches the way he did Ahmed Rosario's bat really did that and I think part of the reason his bat came on as much as it did was because because of the confidence and the reassurance that he had that he was going to be in the starting lineup, batting second and playing shortstop every day. If you, if you mess with that at some point, I think it's really going to contribute to any sort of regression you're going to see next year, if that's the case with Rosario. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Joe. I think uh, he was by far their most consistent offensive player. I mean, I love, I love Ramirez. You know, I, I love what he does, the speed he brings, the power he brings, you know, the hustle. But from from you need consistency from a ball player, and I think Rosario gave you that day in and day out, both sides of the ball. And uh, you know, to me, uh, Jose, you know, had another you know kind of MVP caliber season. But he was this was as, about as inconsistent as I've seen him. You know, kind of riding the wave up and down, and. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I would think Rosario's consistency was a big part, was a big surprise to the Indians and really, you know, was a was a big uh, part of their, their the success they did have. Another uh, sort of highlight, bright point that, that we could bring up and, and in terms of consistency as well, the the performance out of the back end of the bullpen of Manuel Classe, he missed the entire 2020 season. Uh, suspended for uh, PEDs, comes back. You didn't know what you were going to get out of this guy, except you knew that his his stuff was electric and that 
putting him at the back end of the bullpen is, is where you wanted to see him and you hoped that he would develop this way. He turned himself into one of the best closers in the American League, and the, the future looks incredibly bright for, for Class A and for the Indians when it comes to closing out games. Yeah, I, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I remember talking to uh, uh, Ruben Niebla at the start of the year, the, the Indians' assistant pitching coach, and we were talking about who was going to close. You know, was it going to be Karen Check or was it going to be Class A? And, and and like they said, like you said, Joe, they didn't know Class A, you know, because he had been suspended last year. And, um, you know, he had come to spring training last year after the Kluber deal, but then he got hurt right away. You know, he got hurt early in camp. So they didn't see this guy pitch for basically, you know, the full, full all of 2020, and they really didn't know what they were going to get out of him. But what they found was, you know, a, a really a consistent pitcher, like you said, with, I mean, the guy's throwing a hundred miles an hour, almost every pitch, but a guy that was adaptable as well. You know, when, when hitters started to uh, adjust to that fastball, he started throwing the slider more and really, you know, gave him two effective pitches. And, uh, you know, he just locked into that, that closers job. He said he wanted to win the closers job in spring training. And he did. And, you know, we saw Karen check kind of, you know, kind of ride the, uh, you know, the, the roller coaster and he get eventually gets sent down to Columbus, but, you know, uh, uh, class a was just, you know, he was, he was consistent from day one. And, uh, you know, once he started mixing that slider in with his fastball, he was almost untouchable. And I'm surprised, you know, when you, you look at the AL rookie of the year race, he's not mentioned more done. I don't think he's going to get many votes, No, but, uh, and, and there's a lot of good rookies in the American league. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I think he deserves, you know, a little recognition there. Yeah, he's he's sort of that uh, that guy who deserves at least a vote down ballot, uh, just to recognize how how good and consistent he was. Uh, you you touched on the real turnaround for him after he had come out and just sort of blown everybody away with you know 100 miles an hour and a, a sinker that that dropped off the the face of the earth. Uh, what really helped him stay consistent was using and going to that slider more often. And being able to throw it for a strike, not just being able to throw it wherever he wanted, and you know, not in the zone. If if hitters took that pitch, it was going to get called a strike, and that's what made him way more effective. One point two nine ERA, seventy one appearances, sixty nine and a third innings. He had the the strikeout, uh, seventy four strikeouts in sixty nine innings. He what walked sixteen. That's that's pretty incredible for, yeah. uh, you know, for a rookie coming up basically his first full big league season. And, you know, he just sort of sort of now imprints on your brain, just like that Jose Mesa sort of coming out there and what you expect every time the bell rings, he's going to be out there throwing like that uh, for the rest of the season. So, uh, again, if we're looking for highlights to talk about from the 2021 season, Emmanuel Classe's performance, definitely uh, one of those. We, we want to sort of mention DeMarlo Hale and the job that he did taking over the club after Terry Francona stepped away at the, at, right at the trade deadline, really. What do, what do you think the, the club is going to evaluate DeMarlo Hale on? It's obviously not going to be wins and losses. 
It's obviously not going to be on whether or not you made the postseason or not. What do you think the the the, the measuring stick for DeMarlo Hale is going to be and, and should be? Well, I think a couple things, Joe. One, uh, you know, it, it seemed as soon as, you know, Tito stepped away, uh, you know, the kind of focus to me of the, of the organization shifted from, okay, we've got a, we've got a chance to uh, win the division to, okay, you know, this is a reset year. We want to look at as many players as we can. So we have an idea how to evaluate these guys in the off season at our, you know, our off season meetings, when we're setting the 40 man roster, when we're looking at trades, when we're looking at free agents. And I thought uh, Hale was kind of the perfect, instrument to do that you know he showed a willingness to work with the rest of the coaching staff willingness to work with the uh the front office you know in in, in you know using various lineups every day and in you know circulating all those outfielders you know uh you know mercado and zimmer and and uh, daniel johnson uh, you know and I, I know i'm missing a couple guys uh and uh, you know the infielders as well so i think he really gave them the front office as good a look at this at their 40 man roster as they could they could have hoped for and 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 number 2 Joe I think he he wanted to win as well I mean they they came in they they what they finished 80 and 82 you know you consider the injuries they you know they did that you know that they had that the pitching staff you know the rotation was really they didn't get it all back together until what Bieber came back for two starts at, at the end of September. Mm-hmm. So they really didn't mm-hmm. have their starting five in there, but uh, I thought Hale kind of, you know, kind of did it in a kind of grandfatherly way to me. He was like, a, you know, you never saw him get mad on the zooms. I don't know what he was doing in the locker room, but he was never, he never ripped anybody. He was always patient. He was always encouraging. You know, he wasn't, I mean, he, when, when a player screwed up, he said so, but it wasn't like he hung them out to dry, you know? And, and right. I thought, you know, and he said something to me, Joe, um, not to me, but yesterday on the Zoom, it was pretty revealing. I said, you know, I asked him, does this, you know, because he's interviewed a bunch of times, you know, mm-hmm. as for managerial jobs. And I said, does this, you know, these what, whatever, you know, 50 or 60 games that you manage, um, does this reinforce your, your desire to, uh, to manage, to try to manage some, someday in the big leagues? And he goes, you know, it's, it didn't reinforce anything, but, you know, you know, it just, you know, organizations, they know what they want in, in a big league manager. And you can't, you're not going to send your resumes out to, uh, you know, to the Los Angeles right. Dodgers right. if you're looking for a, for a manager. The Dodgers have to come after you. And he goes, I think, you know, people know who I am. And, uh, you know, if they want, if they want to talk, we'll talk, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, he said, but he, but he was kind of laughing. He goes, Hey, it's getting late. You know, I'm, I'm running out. Of, I might be running out of time. here. So, but I thought he just handled it well. And uh, he knows the ins and outs of the game. And I think this is a pretty smart baseball guy, Joe. I think he's, you know, he's a, he was in a tough spot with Tito. He didn't want to, overstep his bounds, but he knows a lot about baseball. I think that's why they brought him in as, as a bench coach. Yeah. He sort of, he sort of showed everybody he is, he is who he is and he's, he's not, you know, anything more or anything less than, than what you just said in terms of just a good baseball guy. And, 
you can see why Tito wanted him on the bench at the start of the season uh, to replace Brad Mills and, and take over that role uh, as he had done earlier in his career in, in Boston in the, in the same capacity. So uh, just a, an all around, you know, sort of attaboy performance by, by uh, DeMarlo Hale. Hey, hey, thanks for what you did there. But with any luck, with any, uh, you know, sort of certainty, uh, Tito will be back next year uh, to, to move forward. And, and even though the Indians won't be back as the Indians, they'll be back as the Guardians. Hopefully Tito will be the, the manager there. What, uh, what did you take away from just the scene and the atmosphere of the Indians playing their last games as the Indians on this road trip? Yeah, it, it was um, it was interesting, especially yesterday, Sunday, the final game as the Indians. It was like two to three hundred Indians fans sitting behind the dugout, and you know, in the ninth inning, they started chanting "Let's go Tribe, Let's go Tribe." The, all the Texas fans kind of booed them down, but then after the game, they started cheering again, and uh, just a you know, kind of uh, you know, just a moment that you kind of remember and that. You know, that, that's 106, 107 years of history just, you know, being put to rest. And uh, you can say all you want that the team is still the same. But, uh, you know, it, I think it, the name meant a lot to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, some good, some bad. And uh, now, you know, that, that, that era has closed. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was kind of unique. I, I, uh, I look back. You know, baseballreference.com, the uh, savior of all baseball writers. And in 1915, when they changed the Indians' name, um, they changed from the Naps to the Indians. Uh, they played their first game at, at, against Detroit. And I was looking at some of the uh, players who played in that game. Like Shoeless Joe Jackson was playing for the Indians. Uh, um, Ray Chapman, the, the, the shortstop who got killed in 1920. Mm -hmm. uh, was mm -hmm. on that team. Uh, uh, Ty Cobb was playing for the Tigers. So it's just an interesting to think, you know, that's how it bookended. You know, they won, the Indians won that first game in, in 1915, and they won the, the last game as the Indians uh, Sunday in, in Texas. So I guess you kind of bookend that and uh, you move on. But you think about some of the great players that have played for this organization, played baseball in Cleveland. Uh, you think about guys like uh, Addy Joss and uh, I, I, I believe uh, Nap Lajway even, uh, they never wore an Indian's uniform and yet they're still revered and, you know, held up as great pillars of this organization. There will be new players coming to this team who fans are going to get behind and they're only going to be known as guardians in Cleveland. They're, they're never going to have put on an Indian's uniform. So, you know, get behind those guys and, and give them their fair shake as, as, as they come in. Uh, there's, there's a lot to look forward to as well, but yeah, I, I think just watching from home and watching the scene and, and seeing the video that the, uh, that Bally sports played after the final out of the game that sort of went back and reflected on the, the hundred and what 15 years of, of Indians baseball. I, I, you get a little misty, you get a little uh, upset that things had to change, but you can also, you can either sit on that and dwell on that and have it, have it ruin your day or 
move forward and and embrace what's coming with the Guardians. I, I think that's what every fan in Cleveland has to choose to do now. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, Savali was saying that it was an honor to uh, pitch in the final game, at, you know, with, with the team known as the Indians. But, you know, in in the end, you know, we're representing the city of Cleveland. And, and that's what, you know, you move forward representing as a player. You know, the city of Cleveland, the Guardians, you know, the, the baseball team. And, and the baseball isn't going to change. It's They're still staying here. They're not going anywhere. Uh, it's not like a Browns, you know, moving to Baltimore. This is uh, the ball club is still here. So, you know, it, it all depends, like you said, Joe, what you want to make. Man. Right. Well, there are uh, several teams who are moving on and, and staying and playing baseball still this year. The, the postseason is going to begin tomorrow with the American League wildcard race or, or wildcard game. And as much as we all just sort of wanted to see a Seattle-Toronto game or a, or a four-team chaotic play-in to get to that wildcard game. Uh, in the end, it was Boston and New York who just sort of took the reins and, and, and grabbed those final two wildcard spots. So we're going to see the Yankees play at Boston in a nationally televised 8 p.m. game, just like everybody in the commissioner's office and everybody on the TV side wanted to see happen. <laughs> not like we didn't see 19 nationally televised uh, Yankees versus Red Sox games already this year. We get one more this time. So uh, is the way that that whole scenario shook out and watching sort of with one eye on that four-team chase on the, on the final day, uh, what did you take away from that as, as, as chaotic as it was? Yeah, Joe, it made me sweat trying. I was reading all this stuff, the tiebreakers and everything. And when I when I got done reading this story, I didn't know. I didn't. I still didn't know what exactly had to happen for you know so four teams to end up tied. I, I was like, God, I'm just glad I don't have to like decipher that with that the Indians weren't involved in. That. Right. I, I I'd get through like trying to understand some of these tweets and, and stories, like you said, that set up the tiebreakers. And I'd get about halfway through one of them and I'd just be like, you know what? At, at seven o'clock, I'm going to know who's in and who's out. So there you go. Uh, it was it was definitely interesting. And that's sort of what what baseball had envisioned when they added that that extra sort of uh, team to qualify for the, the playing for the wildcard game. It's it, it works, but I would have liked to have seen expanded playoffs. I would have liked to have seen something closer to the format that they did. Uh, in the 2020 season when yeah. there was uh, there were eight teams, I believe, in, yeah. in each team that, that made it. So maybe maybe Cleveland would have been uh, a, a little more apt to, to go for something there at the end of the year instead of developing players as they did in September and October. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the matchups, uh, you know, three teams from the AL East made it, you know, and, and what, Boston – I was looking at the records. Boston, you know, went 10 and 9 against the Yankees during the regular season. And Tampa Bay, whoever wins that game, has, advances to play Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay was 11 and 8 against the Yankees and 11 and 8 against Boston. So you know, that's pretty, those guys are neck and neck. So that's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out of that side of the bracket. Right. And then on the other side, you've got Chicago versus Houston. 
And, and that's a series where Chicago's got their pitching lined up and they're, they're ready to go. And Houston had started to come sort of alive there at the end. And it was starting to look more like the, the Astros of 2018, 2019. It should be a really good matchup and a really good series uh, starting off in, I, I believe uh, Houston has the, the home field advantage. Yeah, Houston is five and two against, they went five and two against the White Sox. And uh, the Yankees, if, if Chicago advances, you know, to uh, what the NLDS, no, no, the NLCS, you know, they're, they're one and six against the Yankees and uh, four and three against Boston. So, you know, that's uh, they're kind of the uh, outside looking in right now. So, uh, right. They, yeah, that, they didn't play their best against winning teams. That's for sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what and happened. And then, Joe, you switched to the National League. How would you like to be the Dodgers? The Dodgers win 106 games during the regular season, and now they're down to a one-game playoff against St. Louis, you know, yeah. one of the one hottest, of the hottest teams, teams. Exactly, exactly. And the winner of that game gets to take on San Francisco in the, the division series. So it, it, you could have a one of, what, 107-win team versus 106-win team yeah. in the in the division series. That's uh, – I guess that's that's cool, but if San Francisco wins its first division title since 2012. It was like eight years in a row that the Dodgers have won the division. Yeah. So, and, and the Giants own a, a 10 to nine edge in the season series against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers lost uh, Max Muncie, I guess, with an elbow injury yesterday. Right. So, I saw something about that. Did you see the play? It was at first base, play up the line where the the runner sort of ran into his glove and bent his elbow back. Yeah, that's a tough, that's that, that's a dangerous play for first baseman. I've seen a lot of guys get hurt on that kind of play. Right. Well, it all gets uh, started underway tomorrow, eight o'clock, with the American League Wild Card game. Wednesday, you'll have the Na National League Wild Card game at eight o'clock, and then the division series begin on Thursday. Uh, Hoinsey, we will keep this going. We'll uh, we'll follow it all the way through the playoffs here for this next month. Uh, before we we sort of uh, break off in in November to to sort of scale back the, the podcasts, but uh, as far as the you know a, a daily update on what's going on in the playoffs and with all the free agent moves, is we've got some some big dates and we'll discuss that tomorrow. What the big uh, sort of calendar moves are for for the Indians when they have to put guys on and take guys off the roster and, and all that. Uh, we'll get into that more uh, in the week ahead. And we'll also look back and, and wrap up the, the rest of the 2021 season here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.